0: So, James 5, verses 13 to 20. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins.
1: Thanks so much, Kate, for reading that, and good evening, everyone. Good evening, everyone watching on YouTube. Um, Lovely to have you here. Lovely to have you, if you normally join on Zoom, as Graham said, uh, sorry, it's not, happening this week but it will happen I'm sure in the weeks to come and it's great that you can be tuning in this evening do keep uh, that passage open in front of you because tonight's passage it's all about prayer i find it amazing that it's landed tonight of all nights because i can imagine right now that our nation is more spiritually engaged in the act of prayer than it has been for probably 55 years. There are households at this moment right now, no doubt, fervently and earnestly praying. I'm sure maybe some of you are praying that I keep it short tonight. Don't worry, I've got an eye on the time. But I'm also sure that those prayers that are being offered are prayers that are immensely hopeful in our cultural use of that word, but lack any kind of Of confidence. We hope, but we don't have confidence. And that is completely opposite to what the Bible says about prayer. Not not that Christians pray confident that their prayers will be answered in the way that they've asked, but that we pray in confidence about who God is and what God will do. Our confidence is in God, the one we are praying to. And this is what James is wanting us to discover tonight. We see in the very first verses of our passage, look with me at verses 13 and 14, uh, James says, Is anyone among you trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. James's point to us is very clear. Whatever our situation, whatever our circumstances might be, our first response should be to turn to God in prayer. Have you had a good day? Pray. Praise God, James says. Are you in trouble? Are you overwhelmed? Pray, James says. Turn to God. And yet as we hear that this evening, it maybe may unsettles us because our relationship with prayer can be a real mixed one, can't it? If you're anything like me, you'll know that when times are good and, and life feels amazing, we can often totally forget to pray When life is hard, and we're in trouble and we're suffering, actually, I can be scared to pray. Scared at the thought that maybe God won't answer my prayers. I won't see anything from it. And at those times, I can doubt, doubt that prayer at that point will do anything. That it's powerless to do anything for the problems that seem enormous in front of me. We might say this evening, yeah, James, it's just not that easy to just pray. What's the point? Well, James this evening is going to give us a much-needed corrective. And this evening in our passage, he's going to show us that if we are following Jesus tonight, and prayer is not a part of our spiritual lives, if you want to put it that way, then we are missing out. That is what James is going to show us. We are missing out big time if we are not involved in prayer. It is a privilege, a treasure, and a power that, quite frankly, our heads will not ever be able to grasp. And James himself, it's interesting to know, we know from history was a man who loved to pray. He, he walks what he talks this evening. If you can put it this way, Christian historian Eusebius, he said about James, the guy who wrote this letter, he said, James, his knees grew hard like a camel's because of his constant worship of God, kneeling and asking forgiveness for the people. Sounds a bit of an insult, doesn't it? Like a camel's knees. But you know, I pray this evening, I pray that we have the very same heart this evening. I pray that by the Holy Spirit would help each one of us tonight to have that very same attitude and desire to prayer. And it also, prayer, it wonderfully caps off our series in James. Prayer has been one of the big things that James has been bringing up in James He started off chapter 1, didn't he? He started off his letter, chapter 1, verse 5, by telling us to pray. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. And here at the end of James, he closes by telling us to do the very same thing. Pray. Pray. And as we go through our passage tonight, I've got three points that will hopefully... Clarify and and sort of give coat hooks to sort of put these thoughts on. the first one for us tonight is the heart of prayer. The heart of prayer, verses 14 to 16. You see, James, we've seen in the, the first verses of our passage, he's told us to pray in all of our circumstances that we have. You had a good day? Pray. You're in trouble? Pray. But James then moves to become almost more specific in one area, focusing on physical illness. He says there... Is anyone among you ill? Obviously, James is writing in a time where, obviously, illness was rampant. You know, they didn't have the wonderful provision, God's provision to us of NHS and, and modern medicine. Illness was rampant at that time. And then James, in that situation, he gives his prescription. And he says, the elders are to come round and anoint that person with oil and pray for them. And then James says, well, that prayer... Offered in faith will then make the sick person well. That sounds pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Seems pretty clear. Well, no. There are huge questions, aren't there, when we read something like this. What does it mean? What does this mean? Well, just to answer a few questions, there's nothing intrinsically special about the oil. I guess it carries some spiritual symbolism in its use and its it's kind of symbolism of God throughout the Bible, but it was also a a common medicinal resource at that time. It was very practical too. It was soothing and it was comforting for those who had oil on them. And the elders of the church, they were naturally the ones that you would look to for a spiritual perspective, as we'll see in a few moments but maybe one of our biggest questions tonight is verse 15. Look with me. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. It might be this evening that we say, well, Dan, that's where I have to stop. Because I have offered up many prayers of faith. And I've seen no answer to my physical sickness. I've offered up many prayers of faith for loved ones who are suffering. And I've seen no answer. It's hard, isn't it, when we read this? What, what does it mean? Well, Elizabeth Elliot, she wrote a biography of, of Amy Carmichael who we might know was a very famous missionary to India. And Elizabeth Elliot, in her biography of Amy Carmichael's life, uh, records uh, the account when one of Amy's treasured uh, co-workers, one of Amy's treasured gospel co-workers, was seriously ill. And knowing what it said in James, Amy then sought prayer and sought the leaders to come and pray for her dear friend. And yet, in her illness, she died. And I'm sure we all know, and we all in our own context know, and we have stories where that has been the case. You see, when we see that phrase, prayer offered up in faith, you know, people can misunderstand that, I can misunderstand that, to mean that that faith is just believing that if I really believe, with all of my heart, that what I'm praying is going to happen, if I can just believe enough, if I can just visualize it, if I can just almost speak it into existence, then it will happen. That is what a prayer of faith is. But that is not what a prayer of faith is. Faith is not being confident that what you're praying will come true. Faith is being confident in God and what he chooses to do. That's a totally new perspective. And it's actually illustrated by Amy Carmichael in this this story that Elizabeth Elliot records in the biography. And she says, when they were wanting to pray for her friend, it says, they laid a palm branch across ponamals that's the the, the friend's name, Ponemal's bed, as a sign of victory and accepted whatever answer God might give certain that whether it was to be physical healing or not, he would give the victory and peace. That is a prayer of faith. Confidence not that what we pray will come true, but confidence in God that he is a loving and he is a faithful God. He will hold us and he will sustain us in whatever he chooses to do. James's point is not to give us here an understanding into the ins and outs of who gets healed, where and when. That would be to miss the point. His point, as in the whole section of this last passage, is to show us the prayer and the impact that prayer can have. The power and impact that prayer can have. And yet it should be said that James does expect healing to happen today. He writes this almost expecting that that there will be times where we pray and God will do them miraculously. To say that God doesn't heal now would be be equally as wrong. And I wish, I, I know this evening that this raises questions. And I wish I could spend more time talking about this, but we've got time is so short and we can't delve into the depths of what this passage is showing us. Because actually, if we stop here, we actually miss the main point of this first section. Because James goes on to then bring in the idea of confession and sin into the mix. Do you see that? And we might say, well, that's a bit of a curveball at this, this point. Why are we talking about confession and sin? Well, it is important to know that the Bible tells us that there can be a link between illness and and sin. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when he's talking about the Lord's Supper and people taking that in an improper way, makes that clear. But in no way, this evening should it be said, in no way is that every or even the majority... circumstances. James, just in verse 11 of chapter 5 and James, mentions Job, who is the very biblical example of someone who suffers who hasn't sinned. And Jesus, he makes the point abundantly clear when he's healing the, the man born blind in John 9 verse 3. Jesus says this wasn't because he or his parents sinned. James even says in our passage, verse 15, if... If they have sinned. James isn't expecting that if someone is ill, it is always because they have sinned. But he is making a link. It's like James is saying, well, it's a good place to start when it comes to prayer. It's a great place to start when it comes to prayer. It's a spiritually healthy position to be in, maybe if we're not in a physically healthy position. Because confession actually takes us to the heart of prayer. And isn't it interesting in our passage that James' confession in James' eyes is seen to be something not just to be done on our own, but to be done with those around us. James says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a, a very famous uh, rebel against the Nazi regime in World War II. He was a German pastor and he wrote lots of books. And in one of his books, Life Together, he says an amazing quote. He says, uh, he says, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. He says, Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. He says, confession in the presence of a brother is the profoundest kind of humiliation. It hurts. It cuts a man down. It is a dreadful blow to pride. To stand there before a brother as a sinner is an enemy that is almost unbearable. In the confession of concrete sins, the old man dies a painful shameful death before the eyes of a brother. How true that is. Do you know when confession starts to be part of our prayer life, when it comes part of our fellowship together, it can be brutal. It is a humbling thing, and yet it brings such freedom. Do you know, we have been hearing, haven't we, for about two months now, Sermon of the Mount, blessed are those that are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know they are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This isn't confessional. Uh, this isn't believing, as some do, that confessing your sin to a, a certain elevated individual brings some kind of forgiveness in of that act. No, that just causes a total lack of assurance. And we leave feeling worse than we did before. It's only when we come to Christ that he forgives us. So when we come to him and acknowledge our sinfulness and we accept his grace to us that we're forgiven. That's where we get true assurance. But James does want us and does expect these Christians he's writing to us here this evening to be engaged in what is the humbling and the growing act of confession, to have that as almost the heart of our prayer life together, to do it together. And I wonder this evening, do we have someone in our lives that we can do that with? A trusted Christian friend that we can do that with? I truly believe it's one of the healthiest things that we can ever do. It is the, one of the best ways that we can grow together. One of the best opportunities that we have to pray for one another. God does not want us to live lives as an island, but in community. A loving, forgiving, prayerful community. And James says that confession, it is at the heart of prayer. But that brings us to our second thing take two final quick points this evening, which is the power of prayer. The power of prayer. I mean, this wonderfully takes us to the heart of our passage. And I guess this is the reason why James is wanting to focus our attention on prayer. He says, pray because prayer is powerful. Look with me at the end of verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Ah, we might say, ah. Yeah, well, I'm sure for the righteous person, prayer is powerful and effective, but, but that's not me. My prayers don't seem powerful and effective. And you know, if we're saying that this evening, that is immediately when James catches us. Because look with me at verse 17. And he illustrates that point by pointing us to Elijah. Verse 17, Elijah was a human being even as we are. Yes, that Elijah, that great Old Testament prophet, he was just like me and you, James says. He was fallible like me and you. He shared in weakness like me and you. In his nature, there is no difference, James says. And yet he prayed earnestly. He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And James says someone like us, by the power of prayer, coming to God, managed to dictate the weather for three and a half years. Some of us might really want to do that. James says again, He prayed and the heavens gave rain. Do we see James's point here? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And one thing I do not want to do this evening is to downplay what James says here. I do not want to caveat it by saying uh, that prayer is less powerful than it was for Elijah. No, because James knows exactly what he's saying here. He knows exactly what he's saying. He knows in one sense how outrageous this bit of his letter he is writing is. I certainly was taken back when I started to read it. I even doubted its validity. Or maybe this evening, I've just got too small a view of prayer. Maybe it's me that needs to get a better bigger perspective of prayer because logically when I or you speak to an infinite God that we believe we do, God is infinite, all-powerful, then there exists infinite potential. There is nothing God cannot do it's Ephesians. Now to him who can do more than we could ever ask or imagine, that is who we pray to. An infinite God with infinite potential. Do you know, John Chrysostom, he was the Archbishop of Constantinople. He was one of the early church fathers. He's an absolute hero. And he said this, he puts it amazingly. He says this, the potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions, hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death. "...expanded the fates of heaven, assuaged diseases, dispelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stayed the sun in its course, and arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. There is in it an all-sufficient panoply." A treasure undiminished, a mine which is never exhausted, a sky unobscured by clouds, a heaven unruffled by the storm. It is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. I feel like that's what John how John would have said it, you know. That is prayer. That is prayer. That is the power of prayer. And I I don't see that. I don't see that, to be quite frankly, when I pray. But James wants me to know the power of prayer. And do you know this evening, we won't be captivated to pray at all until we see the power of prayer like this. We won't want to pray until we see prayer with the power and this much of potential. We have a big God we speak to this evening. James wants us to know the power of prayer. But thirdly and finally this evening, the importance of prayer. The importance of prayer, this verse 19 to 20. You see, we've seen James, he's talked about physical restoration, hasn't he? And yet he, he moves in his closing words of his letter to the crucial importance of spiritual restoration. Look with me at verse 19. James says, "My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wonder from the truth," that word wondered, You know, I found, I found this week that that is the Greek word "planeo," which I'm told we get from the English word we get the English word "planet" from. You know, a planet does not appear fixed in the sky like a star does but it kind of moves around, it it wanders. And James says, if, if one of you starts to wander from the truth, truth taking us back to 118 in James, the word of truth, he says, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from a death and cover over a multitude of sins. In closing, James wants us to understand two things in the importance of prayer. The seriousness of spiritual wandering and the magnitude of what we can be used by God to impact. And so firstly, James shows us that actually the ultimate danger in life is not physical, it's spiritual. James equates wandering away from the gospel, you could say Wandering away from Christ Himself, in essence, as something that He says leads to death. It leads to eternal death. Hell. Separation from Christ. Whether that be, as we've seen in our letter of James, you know, going through this letter, whether that be chasing after the world instead of looking to Christ, whether that be of becoming proud in our own eyes and refusing to humble ourselves before God. Spiritual wandering, moving away from Christ, that is is so serious. James was like, this is the most serious thing anyone could ever do to move away from Christ. And tonight, maybe it is. Maybe we're watching this evening. Maybe we're sat here. Maybe we're watching on YouTube. And tonight, we are really thinking about our own faith and thinking about in some way to throw in the towel on it all. We don't want to go on following Christ. We want to live our own way. We want to do our own thing. But this evening, do you know, can we see what James says here? What's at stake when we wander away from Christ? This is serious. To reject Christ is the ultimate thing. It leads to death. And that brings us to the second and the final thing which James wants us to go away with, which is if that is so serious, if wandering away from Jesus is that serious, then surely the loving and prayerful pursuit of someone who has wandered and pointing them to Jesus is the greatest thing we could ever do. James says whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I mean forget about noble prizes. Forget about winning the euros. Forget about acing your A levels or getting a first class degree. This is the greatest thing a person could ever do in God's eyes. To be used by God to impact the eternity of souls. There is no greater thing than that. And it's important to note and to remember as we read that verse that it's still God's work. (laughs) We don't become the saviour here. Our job is only to point people to the saviour. But the simple truth is this, that God's often main way of bringing people to know Jesus, bringing people that have wandered away from Jesus back to him, is through people. Through you and me. How amazing is that? God wants to use you and me to do the greatest thing that anyone could ever do. To point someone to Jesus. To bring about spiritual restoration. To pray that God would do such a work in their hearts. And I'm not pretending this evening that this is a piece of cake to do. It can be the hardest and most difficult thing to have conversations with people. Especially those that are closest to us. And yet, isn't that exactly what then drives us to prayer? Because I see no reason why James would think that this doesn't involve prayer. I mean, that's really the context of our passage and what it sits in. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful. It's why there's prayer happening every day at 7.30. And we're seeing answers to those prayers. Because we know it's the greatest thing we could ever do. And I see the last verse in James, verse 20, not so much as a statement for us to end his letter. Not not a statement that closes the book, but an invitation as we close the letter to do something. You remember James says we want to be doers of the word, not just hearers? Well, James gives us the ultimate invitation. And he almost says this, do you want to be part of the greatest thing that anyone can do in life now? Now, we talk about having a lasting impact in our lives, whether that be, you know, climate change, fighting injustice, technological advancements. They're great things, don't get me wrong. But compare that with impacting Eternity, used by God, to be a part of that process. Not that we do anything; we're just obedient. You can't compare anything with that. And so, this evening, as the old saying goes, do you know, maybe we don't feel ready to talk to people about God. Well, let's start talking to God about people. I mean, let's really invest in this. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful so do you know as we reflect on prayer this evening these concluding words of James prayer is an incredible blood bought privilege for us this evening it was bought by the blood of Jesus this is not a human right this is a blood bought privilege by the cross and James wants us to take full advantage of this gift knowing that the heart of prayer is confession And at heart, understanding its poverty of spirit, but its riches in Christ. Knowing that prayer is so powerful, an infinite God with infinite potential, and that life's greatest work is that of sharing Jesus. Using our lives now, pointing people to him, the Lord Jesus, and investing ourselves 100% in prayer to that goal. Let's be, as James has told us, to be doers of his word and not just hearers. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we come to you this evening and we recognize that what we are doing right now is one of the greatest things that we could ever do. And, Lord Jesus, this is a blood brought privilege that you have accomplished by your work on the cross. And forgive us, Lord Jesus, when we take that for granted, when we do not see the privilege or the power of prayer. But, Lord Jesus, would you open our eyes to the gift of prayer, to the power of it, and to the importance of investing in it? Lord, would we be people like James was that are on our knees, pray for your will to be done and for your kingdom to be come? We pray for those around us that are wandering spiritually, that have rejected you. Lord, we pray that you would bring them back to yourself. Would you use us, even us, as a part of that work? Lord Jesus, we want to be prayerful people. We want to be those that are humbly dependent upon you for absolutely everything. And Lord Jesus, we recognize this evening that we deserve nothing. We confess that our hearts are so far from you most of the time. And yet, Lord Jesus, we praise you that in your grace we do not get what we deserve. We get the beauty of relationship with you and the privilege of coming to you in prayer. May we take full advantage of this, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.